is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast. Your host, Dan here. No Brandon and no Nick. But this is part two of our deep dive into defender targets that have been linked with Chelsea. Again, plenty of names have been on the shopping list, have been considered. We've had interest in them. We've been inspired to peruse their history. We have been motivated by prior performances. We've been excited by the potential possibility of what the likelihood of coming to Chelsea could possibly bring to a side that is being managed by Thomas Tuchel and being overseen by Todd Bowley and his interim director of football role. And we have three more names that we're going to get into in the first episode. If you haven't listened to it, go back now because we got into Fafana, we got into Screenar, and then we got into Pau Torres. But this episode, we're going to go into uh, Batashil from Monaco. We're going to go into uh, Simicon from Leipzig. And hey, because why not go after one defender from the same team? Go after two, uh, Josco Garvadial as the other one. So three more names that we're going to go through to round out the six players that we did a deep dive on. And to do that, we again bring back the wonderful, you know him as CFC Central, we know him as Sam, you know him as maybe your new favorite guest on the London's Blue Podcast. Sam, welcome back. Oh, such a nice introduction. I wish my friends did something like that for me, but I uh, need better friends. <laughs> oh, no, no. You, well, you've got friends on this show. you got friends in the no, list. So. I've been, yeah, I've been very lucky with friends and I've been, I've been very, very, uh, you know, just really grateful for the amount of support that I've had from you guys as well as the community. So always a pleasure coming back and I'm really, really happy I can do this with you. Well, and we are excited to have you back on it. And then just for those who maybe haven't listened, but are like, you know what? I don't want to hear more about Skinner or Pau Torres or Fafana because I already have an opinion. Well, what we did say in the first episode, if you were stack ranking where our interest lies with those individuals, what the order of prioritization would be, we did think that one, two, three, Fafana, Skrinar, Torres would be the order in which we would go after those individuals. But now we're going to add a few more names to it. And what I would say, Sam, is you drove a little bit more of the second half of names that we jumped into. And just for those who maybe didn't listen or have not yet listened and are just going to keep on going with this episode, what are some of the things that Chelsea are looking for based upon this very differentiated list of players? Because what one of the themes from the first episode, and I think a theme that we'll find as we continue, is that while there are similarities, this is a very wide range of play styles and not a they all fit a very similar mold that there is a lot of player positional diversity in how they operate, how they play, what they would or wouldn't contribute left footed, right footed back three back four. And so maybe just helping provide the context of why is this such a mixed list of players? I think uh, like we mentioned in the first episode, versatility is, is king. You know, if you've got, players that can play multiple profiles, if you've got players that are comfortable in different systems, obviously you're setting yourself up for um, a situation where even if you've been hit with an injury crisis, you can move players around and still have a possible team, you know, a team that is very strong in their positions and don't have to readjust as such. And that's been the general theme. We've been linked with a a variety of centre-backs. I mean, I think not just from our own accord, but 
pretty sure a lot of agents are working over time to generate a lot of interest. But I mean, the ones that we have solid links to, the ones that uh, a good friend of the pod, uh, Rob, RJP Journalism, has sort of like uh, been very kind enough to share with us in terms of the defenders we've been linked with. I think they've all got the same traits in common. You know, you, you're always looking for somebody who's comfortable in a back four, in a back three, can move across, can play different positions across the back line, offers you flexibility and you know, then you can mold them accordingly. And I think it's something that Tukul appreciates. If you look at Levi Colville and Ampadu, there are reports that both of them have been training as the central centre-back, as a CCB in a back three. So you've got Ampadu who's got a clear preference for the right, Colville who's got a clear preference for the left, but both of them have been asked to train as the CCB. So he obviously wants versatility, he's pushing them out of their comfort zone and saying, you know what, you've already mastered your position relatively well in you know, whatever years that you've had on loan and, and whatever you've done through the youth setup. Now is the time to develop other qualities, other values. And, and this is how you do it. You change positions, you suffer, you make mistakes, but you get better. Right. And I do think that we have seen some really good usages of the versatility of players. I think the concern of the challenge has been is not all of the secondary options from our primary has always been has been more of a down level in terms of the quality than you would hope. You know, someone like a, a city, usually when they go from their option one to option two, that gap is much smaller than sometimes when we go from our first choice player to whomever their backup is. And so maybe that probably might be a reason why some people are scared of the idea when we talk about positional flexibility and moving players in and out. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It could be a really, really good thing. And as we kind of get into that, I want you to give us the rundown of Batashiel, Benoit Batashiel, from Monaco, left-footed player, 83% of the time. Uh, does tend to play on that left side of a defense, and look is also similar to Fafana, a little bit of a younger player, definitely kind of getting into his comfort at a at a club. He's been in Monaco the last five years. He's been playing a significant number of minutes every season, and really has had very limited exposure in European competition. So what what are you seeing with him? I think there's maybe some things that at least I watch I, I watch a few videos. I'm like, oh okay, you know, there there's a lot here that could get me excited. Um I don't know if Monica want to continue selling all of their players this window, which might be one of the concerns uh after they lost Shu many as well. But is this something where you are maybe more excited about him as a player than some of the other ones that we mentioned last episode. Definitely. I think with Bariashile, we are just looking at somebody who's got obviously great potential. And when you when you see the the entire whole picture, um, we've got Levi Colville, obviously. But when you talk about, like, yeah, why are we going for a, a potentially young defender who's in the same mold? I think in terms of experience, Bariashile has got the upper hand. He's now got like four, three, four seasons. At Ligon, so he's definitely got experience over over Colville, even though like he's a year elder to him. So I think uh, it's just about trying to figure out is Colville the best option at left centre back. Um, I mean, I'm not suggesting that he isn't. I, I'm a huge fan of Colville, and and I think that within a year or two he's going to be you know a very very good centre back. But I think it's just trying to figure out if you're going for um, a first choice and a second choice option if you're trying to find the next big centre-back before he commands 
an exorbitant fee. I mean, you only have to look at the same thing that happened with his Monaco teammate, you know, Aurelien Schoemeni. He was available for 40, 45 billion. He did not want to leave, but that was the price being fixed on his head. And, and a year later, he's gone for around 90, 95 million. So it's just something that the club is, I think, trying to, to um, be clairvoyant about. He's just trying to be um, one step ahead of the competition and saying, can we get him early at the age of 20? And if you can capitalize on his potential, nurture him, and maybe we'll have a world-class center back in a couple of years. It almost makes me think about the way when Pat Nevin joined us to talk about the fact that he's only ever recommended two players by name to Chelsea, which seems pretty low, but this is what he said. And he mentioned that Van Dijk was one of the players that he said, you have to go get this guy before the move to Southampton. And then we know that after Southampton, he goes on to playing at Liverpool. And whether or not you agree that he is the best defender of all time, we can all say that he's a really, really good defender at a top-level team in the best league in the world. And so do you have some early rumblings or feelings in your bones when it comes to uh, be squared here? Would he be that the move before the move, you're effectively getting him and betting on the breaking trend line that he, the trend line he has is going to break in a very positive direction in the next 12 to 24 months. And you're going to look really smart because you got him with all of the right underlying data saying that this guy is ready to come and do what he's been doing for Monaco at the highest level. Um, wouldn't keep him in in the Van Dyke at Southampton mold, to be honest, not just yet. I think there are there are still a few mistakes to iron out. But in terms of his overall strengths, he definitely is very, very promising, man. To be honest, um, somebody that you want as a very progressive modern centre-back, he's got all the qualities required. He's... Six feet four inches tall. Is, he's very, very good in the air. I think last season he won 78% of his aerial duels, which is, I think in the PL, if you had those kind of numbers, you'd be in the top 10. I think it was Maguire or John Stones last season who sort of like clocked those numbers. So definitely somebody who's incredible in the air. He'd definitely be the best centre-back in the air in our back line. Um, and, and he tends to be very, very good when going up. You know, he's strong, he's aggressive, um, tends to be very robust when when he competes and that's something that you like to see in a young defender somebody who's also inculcated a very good progressive mindset you know even though he plays in the back four he's got a couple of good players in front of him in midfield you know Yusuf Fofana and Shomeni who who performed the role of progressing the ball from from build up to to the next phase fairly quickly i mean they don't they don't do it as side to side as we do they're not very patient they try to move it to attackers, to to their forward line very quickly. And he's somebody who's tried to do that with his passing, especially in, in the build-up phase. He's somebody who demonstrates good efficiency, uh, an eye for a pass, loves trying to pick out very interesting options between lines, even, even options that are a little more than, you know, safe. He'll just try to pick them out with his passing, is confident enough to do it, and tends to do it with both feet. You know, uh, whenever he receives the ball, he's happy to receive with his left, with his right, uh, doesn't like to shift it from his weaker foot to his stronger foot as per se. So he's he's comfortable on the ball. And um, a lot of good redeeming qualities. You know, at 20, I think he's showing really good progression in his fourth year in, in the French League. Uh, he's sort of like doubled his interceptions from the season before. 
uh, and he's better at those numbers than he's ever been in his senior career. And even in his 1v1, you know, he's gone from 37, 38% in the earlier seasons to 52% last year. So he's now come back to a good number in, in 1v1 engagements. And uh, he's also increased his pressure. I think he's more confident in terms of engaging attackers, especially when a, an opposition forward is trying to break away from you and, and drop between lines to receive. You can see him being more confident in his abilities to step out of his defensive line, especially in a four. That's that's something that sure. is a calculated risk. You know, you have to be very careful. In a three, obviously, when you step up, the other two centre-backs can narrow down, cover your advances. But in a back four, you have to show a lot more restraint, a lot more new in terms of like going in and, and making sure that you've got the decision right. And he tends to demonstrate that even against very good like forwards. I saw a lot of games against PSG uh, where he played against very good forwards and, and he demonstrated that, which is always a very heartening thing to do. And the good thing is, uh, again, somebody like Ashwameni, somebody like Fofana, like going into advanced zones. They like sort of going up making sure that they win the ball back high. So he's often exposed to situations that would count as, you know, delicate defensive encounters. He's <laughs> up against one one guys. He definitely has to like time his tackles well. He has to retreat, make sure that he's got, he's delayed enough for so many to drop in. He's, he's making sure that his defense is well settled, tends to do that well. So in terms of promise potential, definitely shining, definitely glimmering and, and um, got great potential. It's just, whether he can tone down the other weaker aspects, whether he can polish the not-so-refined aspects of his play, then I'd be more confident of putting him in the Van Dyke category. Well, and that's the next thing that we should get into because we've had a chance to offer a fair bit of praise and probably get people who maybe didn't know about the player excited about what he could bring, why he would be maybe a more value play for the future type of punt player that you're not feeling like, oh, we spent 80 million pounds on Wesley Fofana, but maybe we spend 40 million pounds on Batashiel and you feel really good that we're taking a good bet. We're maybe you know using some data to make a better purchase. There are some weaknesses and we should be forthcoming in what they are and I think if you said that Fofana was maybe allergic to getting into the attacking third, um, I don't know how you would even define what Batashiel is in that regard because a defense is his game and attack uh, very much is not at all in any I think it's more down to Monaco's system, to be honest. I mean, they've got some, they had some great players in midfield. Shumeni, obviously, um, somebody who's happy to go into forward zones, has great shooting from range, so can offer that threat. Then you've got some great attackers up front who are, who are willing to, to run around, make sure they create space. So he's not required as such to be a very progressive presence apart from, you know, when he's building up. So I think if given the responsibility in a back three, um, he would probably be more penetrative. Does he have, um, you know... Does he have the talent or the skill set to to transfer those skills from the defensive third into the attacking third is a question that I would definitely sort of put up to him. Like I said, in terms of his numbers, he has negligible touches in the attacking third. He, he just doesn't go there. He tends to hold the central line and then he's happy to be there and sort of like anticipate wherever the transitions are going to happen to make sure that he's got that zone locked in. He doesn't like 
do a Rudiger or a Thiago Silva or any of our progressive defenders where they step out of the defensive line, go into the attacking third, cause these numerical problems. He doesn't want to do that. He's happy to stay and, and do his job first, which is safety first. And that's all right. But um, in terms of his other weaknesses, I think he's a little shy in terms of his ground duels, in terms of his numbers. Last season, he did 55%. The one before, it was 46%. So he does tend to have a little bit of like you know uncertainty when he's going in for ground duels. He tends to go in strong. He tends to go in um, very aggressively. And sometimes that plays against him. I was watching a game against PSG and uh, the first two times he he got, you know, the the hold on Mbappe. He had the upper hand and he basically tried to tackle him out wide. And I think the third time he got spun. He got absolutely spun and had to had to basically retreat into a defensive position. So has to be a little smarter with how he decides to do, how he decides to make those decisions, especially in a back four. He has to be a little more careful. But it's just youthful exuberance, I think, at 20. And, and it's just something that will go away with time. If Rudiger can tone down the aggression that he showed at AS Roma at like 25, 26, um, then definitely, I think it's he's got enough time to do it. And uh, another weakness, I would say, is is he tends to sort of drop his scanning when he's in, in defensive positions. Tends to just look at the ball a little bit. We'll take a look behind, but he tends to get found out sometimes if you if you're playing against forwards or wingers who tend to make good runs in in behind and uh, it, it would be very harsh for me to judge when he was doing that against say an angel di maria or or an mbappe or a neymar but he did struggle and you know there was this beautiful run that di maria did from behind him and he had zero clue and di maria basically collected the ball i think 6 or 7 yards um, ahead of him in front of goal in a 1v1 and I think he botched it and it just looked like Badia had no idea that, that that happened. So maybe needs to scan around a little bit, needs to sort of hone his defensive awareness, maybe needs to communicate more, maybe needs to, you know, tell people that um, he's got a little bit of command in there. Kamil Glick was their leader in defence and after he left, there is sort of like a void for a defensive, you know. Um, sure sort of presence to step in and, and show that Aguilar has done a good job of that but um, definitely I think it's something that can be demanded of him it is obviously his young age and his and his like very very early numbers in terms of his his games played there's definitely will have a little bit of uncertainty but it's something that I would want to you know drill into him because he definitely has the presence he definitely has the skills to back it up so why wouldn't you want to make a lead out of him? Well, similar, I would say, to the way you think about Levi Colwell coming in or maybe even Ethan Alpadu, even though he's gotten more starts in a top-tier side or in, in a top-tier league, maybe not a top-tier side in Venezia. But you have Koulibaly now. You have Thiago Silva. You have uh, champion of the world, Edouard Mendy, in that defense. There's enough talent there that you can embed a younger player and help give them the leadership around them to I would say even accelerate their growth trajectory when it comes to how good they're going to be, how they're reading the game and if you're sticking any young defender in that defense next to Thiago Silva and Koulibaly but also many backing them up, I feel like you're setting them up for you know, we talked about this idea of a decade with Leslie Fafana. 
you're setting them up for the rest of their career having been around and working with some of the best in the game. Definitely. I think it really, really helps the amount of experience we have in the back line. You know, we have uh, Kuribali and, and Thiago Silva, I think two players that younger defenders would absolutely kill to be next to in a defensive line with, just to learn of two very different skill sets. And obviously, in terms of adapting their game, how they've done it, uh, entering into their 30s and how they're basically trying to, you know, cover their weaknesses and also exemplify their strengths. I think it's a fantastic opportunity for any young defender to come in. So you can put a little bit of leeway in terms of having another defender who's younger. But what happens after Silva is done next year, you know, nobody knows what the season looks like in the next year, whether he gets an extension, whether he becomes sort of like a player coach kind of role, which is something we haven't seen at Chelsea for a long, long time. But um, it's just a question mark. And, and you would want somebody to step in within a year. I mean, that's the, that's the brief now. Mm-hmm. Whoever we buy has to be ready to slot in into any position, hopefully in the center of defense within the next year. And when it comes to picking out a left center back, um, I would be like, can he do a good enough job in the center of defense? So right now with his lack of leadership, lack of organization, lack of sort of making sure that his defense is, is absolutely perfect and, and in the know. Uh, with regards to positioning of opposition attackers, he's not quite there yet. Can he do that? Can he um, figure that out and, and bridge the gap in a year's time? Definitely asking a lot out of him. All right. So before we take our break here real quick, as we go back through the ranking, one, two, three, and now four, what's your order of prioritization for if you are advising Todd Bowley and saying, here's the list in order of you go after What's the the one through four? Um, would be Fofana first, Skrinia second, probably Pau Torres third, and Badia Shile fourth. Or I could switch around the last two. I think I think I, just for just for the promise, I think I would I would move Badia Shile up and I would put Pau Torres as the fourth. All right. Well, we're going to take our quick break here, and then after that, we're going to get into Mohamed Simakan and Jasko Gavardial be with us in just a moment all right our next partner has a product that i use literally every day i started taking ag1 because well it's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in you know we're all focused on our macros with protein carbs and and fat now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables it's just hard to eat that many servings a day so uh, i started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient i'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system so what is this stuff well with one delicious scoop of ag1 you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole food sourced superfoods probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day right this special blend of, blend of ingredients supports your gut health your nervous system your immune system your energy recovery focus and aging all of the things Again, I do it, it's easy, it's fast, it's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it, it it goes down quickly. Uh, And like I said, you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily. Uh, But hey, don't listen to me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five 
free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, so Mohamed Simakin is the next player that we're going into, one of two from Leipzig. So I know it was like, hey, let's go look at one Leipzig player. No, no, let's go look at two Leipzig players in terms of the defenders that we're going after. This is another player who is a more recent link, not one of the ones that we've been linked with multiple times before, a two, three, four, five window, will they, won't they type of deal. But I know this was a player that you mentioned Sam, that you were excited to kind of look into and learn a little bit more about his game as you were looking into the strengths that he would bring to Chelsea. What did you see? A lot of good things, to be honest. You know, he's somebody that uh, apparently we've had an eye on ever since he was in, you know, he was younger. I think a couple of years ago, we've just been following his trajectory, making sure that we were keeping tabs on him and he's interested the club for good reason. I think the number one thing that stands out for me is how good he is when he's dueling. He's absolutely amazing. You know, he's and he's got this rare combination of not just having like really good numbers qualitatively. It's just uh, qualitatively. It's also in terms of quantity. He goes in um, for every duel. He wants to basically get stuck in. He wants to to compete. Not worried about you know losing a duel. Doesn't have that fear in his mind yet. So I think in terms of his overall duels, he competed in around five point eight, which is a very healthy number. And won 64% on the ground and 75% in the air. So both sides of his game in terms of air and ground, defending-wise, very, very strong. Uh, again, somebody, if I had, the, I had the benefit of basically watching him and Badia Shile play uh, in the same uh, team. So basically saw him against PSG as well. Um, good to see him, you know. Um, good to see him perform well. And... Um, it was it was good. I think against Mbappe again, some games that that were against very high quality forwards, he did really really well. And uh, again, somebody who's young, somebody who's twenty two, um, offers a great amount of uh, sort of potential on the right hand side of of defense. Uh, his tackling is very strong. Somebody who's very aggressive goes in very strong. Um, also reads the game well. I think two point two interceptions per ninety is a, is a very good number. He is somebody who's often covering also and also trying to be a stopper. So he's sort of got both centre-back roles done very well. You know, you ask him to to play a little deeper and cover, um, he's happy to do that. If you ask him to step out of the defensive line and push up, he's happy to do that. So both sides, you know, he's he's also, like like I said, with Badi Ashile from uh, Monaco and also, um, you know, Leipzig played against PSG. So both guys, I've, I've sort of like had the experience and benefit of seeing them play against the same team in BSGN and both of them did really, really well. And that's always a good sign. If you can perform like that against the world's best, then obviously you do turn uh, a few heads and uh, love his aggression. I think his aggression is definitely something that needs to be nurtured instead of like asking to be toned down. He's got about 12 pressures per 90, 12.2 pressures per 90. So we'll happily step out of the defensive line. We'll happily engage players. Again, I think the benefit of having this lack of fear that you're going to be beaten and you're going to be embarrassed or humiliated against a Kylian Mbappe, which happens like a couple of times he did look like he, he was just like beaten all ends up, but that didn't stop him. You know, the next duty was doing it all over again. Some might call that a little foolish, but 
I think it's something to admire as well. Just, you know, not being put put down by what happened the last year and just put it behind and say, that mistake never happened. I'm going to do it again. And he has the skill set to put it off. So as you think about where he would slot in or how we accommodate him in our existing attack or, or you know, defense, rather, you know, right foot player and traditionally has sit in the right, you know, right hand side. Are you still seeing that it would be the Kulabali Silva uh, Simicon if we brought him in? That seems to be the nature. But, you know, we also talked about this idea that Fafana would help really make life easier maybe for Reese James because there would be a little bit more of a safety net behind him. I don't think Reese James would have the same level of comfort. Also because uh, Simicon is going to take a few more risks in his defending and Reese might need to be aware of that. Is that something that you would see potentially play out if he were to come in? Definitely. I think I think that's a genuine concern to have, um, especially because I think he's only had one season at, at Leipzig and he's he's definitely, you know, just, I think in his infancy of his career, the last two seasons, he's had at Strasbourg in League One. And... Um, in terms of his 1v1 percentage, when you compare him to a Fofana, there is, you know, significant difference. Uh, interestingly, in his last season for Strasbourg, he, he pulled out Fofana numbers with like 71.4% in 1v1. So in terms of having somebody who has the same aggressive skill set, somebody who's willing to defend, he's there. But I think I would put more faith in Fofana purely because of um, how consistent he is. I mean, Simakan's obviously at that age, at 22 He's had games where he's been dropped, games where he's been very inconsistent. He's looked, sometimes he's just looked out of sorts. And, and that's okay with a young player. But then how much of that are we willing to tolerate under, you know, Thomas Tuchel for Chelsea? Because we've seen the kind of treatment that Chalova got when he created, I mean, he sort of like committed that error against Sadio Mane. And there were some other errors where he looked short of confidence. And instead of like getting him the game time that he needed, he was sort of kept aside. And that's Tuchel's way of seeing it. You know, he likes to take people out of the firing line and tends to put them, put them away until they can regain their confidence. And uh, I don't know whether that's the perfect way to deal with it. Manager to manager, that might sort of vary in terms of a, a response. But um, it just begs the question, do you want to get him over to Trevor Chalaba? You know, do you want to get him uh, in terms of somebody who's at the same age Trevor is 23 and this guy's 22. Somebody who's slightly um, in the same mold, like RCB, tends to be very good with progressing, um, can offer good passing. But is it worth spending that much money over is the question mark. And for me, I would rather keep faith with Trevor Chalaba. If if that comes to that, Simakan is good, but I, I'm not tempted to buy, you know, the newest toy on the market. I'm happy with what I have. I think Trevor has the potential to be nurtured and, and sort of like bloom into a, a better, more confident defender. I'd be happy to give him the time to do that instead of like getting a signing for 40 million, 35 million and, and having the pressure of making him perform because that comes directly on Tuchel. So I would rather give Trevor Chalaba the chance. Simicon to me feels like the type of deal Chelsea used to do. Again, we are under new management, so we have to think about the last 19, 20 years differently than how we think about it now, where Chelsea would identify a position of need, miss out on the one target they were after because they negotiated too long or was a protracted negotiation for a player that was never going to become available, 
and ended up going for a third or fourth choice that was really just a little a little less than what they were hoping for, but they felt really good about the value of the player that they got. And so maybe in that disregard, this feels like something where Simicom would be a player that Chelsea of old would go after and not maybe the way we're operating currently where we're trying to be a little bit more hopefully strategic about who we bring in because every one of these players ends up then becoming not only a weekly fee but an amortized fee over the course of the year on the books that really also restricts your mobility to go after other targets of interest. I think you've you've absolutely you know made a crucial point. I mean, when you look at context, which is very important here, uh, if Skriniar goes to PSG, then obviously you look at right centre back options and you say Simakan's absolutely up there. He's probably the next best thing that we can get in terms of nurturing potential and making sure that he slots in next to defensive partners with experience, with maturity, and you hope he blossoms into that. But when you look at the bigger picture, obviously we've lost out on Kunde, we've lost out on Skriniar. So this guy officially is third choice center back. And do you want to go for a third choice center back as your first choice option at right center back? My answer would be no. It he is the he's potentially one of the better options available in the right center back market, but he's definitely not the best one. He is very promising to have, like you said, he would be something that you know um, the scouting department or the recruitment channels would probably recommend for the Chelsea of old get a promising player, make sure that we can develop him into, into a more promising, uh, into a more um, fulfilled kind of defender. But um, I think that that approach needs to be sort of shelved for the moment because there is going to be incredible pressure on Thomas Tuchel. He's going to definitely spend upwards of 100 million this season um, and there will be pressure to deliver. You know, he's moved out Lukaku. He's got the number one attacker that he wanted. He's got one very strong defensive reinforcement. So there can be no excuses, you know, irrespective of how many people want to say it's a transitional period. Um, at Chelsea, we don't do that. We've been at transitional periods every two seasons. And this is nothing less. You know, it's just been, I think, another one to add to the books. And um, that's that's the question. I know Simagan would be probably a good third choice, fourth choice, right centre back. But he's arguably nowhere close to Skriniar or, or a Jules Koundé. So um, for me, it would be a good to have, but not a must have. Well, and at that point... Why aren't you just promoting Levi Cowell and letting him be the third choice or fourth choice option? And absolutely, I would give him or Colville both both those opportunities. You know, Ampadu is there as well. I mean, he's not bad at right centre back. Somebody who's very adventurous with his passing, a little too adventurous, I would say. He has this tendency of always going, you know, for the forward pass. He needs to sort of <clears throat> exercise his patience. Excuse me, um, but. I think it, it's just the question comes down to whether it's Simakan or Levi Colville being promoted at left centre-back and then you push uh, Koulibaly to the right centre-back. I think that's a very good option to do. If you want to play Ampadu on the right-hand side, I think that's a really good option to do. So when it comes to young potential defenders, you've got two of them at the club and I don't see the need to go for him right now. All right. Well, speaking of young defenders from Leipzig... We also have the Croatian of uh, Joshko Gorbarial, and he also has a singular season at Leipzig under his belt, uh, coming from Dinamo Zagreb previously, or sorry, coming from Dinamo Zagreb previously. Um, there's a lot to like here. 
in terms of what he could offer. Again, small sample size, and what would that look like in our team? He's primarily left-footed, but he seems to have good ability with both feet, which is a nice thing to have. But I also think seemingly is... uh, if Rudiger was aggressive, I don't know where he ends up on the scale, but uh, he's probably closer to Rudiger than he is to um, to Silva in his level of aggression in terms of how he plays. But what are the things that you saw or that you like for how he might kind of play in this side? Absolute madman, Guardiola. Absolute madman. I would say he's in terms of his his uh, aggression, he's probably a little ahead of Rudiger. You know, just in terms of not, you know, the way he tackles and, and how strongly he goes in for challenges, but how aggressive he is with his positioning. It's always about going into the attacking third. It's always about carrying. It's always about passing. Always about trying to advance the ball into the areas that matter. And he's he's probably been the best centre-back at that. In terms of progression, not just carrying, also passing. He's he's definitely, like, been spectacular, I would say. I think in, in his rankings, he's... 97th percentile for carries into the attacking third. Dribbles attempted and completed, he's at 99%. So he beat 99% of CBs in, in Europe's top five leagues for, for dribbles attempted and completed. Carries into the penalty area, also 99%. And progressive passes, he's around like above 95% for sure. So he offers an all-round, very hyper-aggressive, progressive mindset. Somebody who's always looking to move the ball forward, which is, I mean, I don't know if, it depends if you're a defensive manager. It's, it's you're going to wake up sweating in the middle of the night, thinking what in the world is he doing. But if you if you're somebody like a Thomas Tuchel, if you're somebody more open to that possibility, I think he's he's definitely a, a you know very very exciting talent to have at at that position. Um, Strength wise, I think I like the fact that he's always playing on the front foot. He's arguably the closest alternative to Rudiger anywhere in the market. Uh, you know, and it probably a small sample size, but the way the games that I've seen, he's he's been exceptional. And even against tougher opponents, he tends to keep his you know same playing style. He doesn't want to tone it down. He doesn't want to get cowed down by the occasion. He's somebody who rises up and says, "Okay, this is the big stage. I'm going to show what I'm going to do." And at times, it just looked a little crazy to me. You know, there were times when he was pressing from left center back. Uh, in the attacking third, like when when the opponent was trying to build up, he was pressing them from centre-back and constantly trying to harry them into, into giving up the ball. And sometimes he got dribbled past, but no problem. You know, just ran back, got into position and defended again. So great to see that he does that. You know, he presses very frequently. He's got a very good um, pressing success percentage at around 39%, which when you compare to centre-backs, anywhere around 40% is excellent. You know, somebody who has great judgment of when they need to step out, when they need to press and how successfully they press. He's definitely up there. Um, Good anticipation. You know, he had 3.29 interceptions last year. So somebody who, again, loves playing on the front foot, likes to cut out danger before it happens. So he's very, very progressive in his mindset. He was, again, 97th percentile for his interceptions. So when you look at somebody who's um, always looking to be ahead of the curve, I think he's definitely there. Physically, very agile, very quick, very strong. He's able to compete well with uh, defend, you know, defenders or dribblers out wide. Loves to show some good recovery pace. Happy to put in some tackles and um, win the ball back. 
So very comfortable doing that. And, and he's played as left back as well. So that helps his skill set because he knows what it is like to play as a wide defender. And he's used to taking on wingers who, you know, always trying to beat you for pace. So he knows all about that. And not just like when he's playing on the front foot in terms of being a reactive defender, he's he's very good as well. You know, he tackles on his feet. Um, I don't see him go down very often in terms of sliding challenges. He's, he's not about, you know, the high flare kind of defensive work where, you know, you, you send the defender flying um, across the grass and you see your opponent basically like tumbling into the, into the advertising hoardings. He's just very confident on his feet, happy to like bully people out of possession and just recycle possession, does that very well. I think in the Bundesliga, he was 29th for recoveries. So somebody who's also very good at cutting out second balls. Um, and in a back three, so I mean, you know, tends to show that he's he's very, very good at anticipating where the ball is going to end up, the second ball is going to end up. And uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of the system, I, I see a perfect fit, Dan. I think at left centre back, a position that we've lost, um, a progressive presence where we're missing that kind of, um, you know, just the wow factor, somebody who's willing to, to run 30 yards to the attacking circle and then take shots that hit the underside of the floodlights. Um, it's it's something that you see in Guardiola as well. You know, he doesn't shoot as often, but definitely in terms of his runs, in terms of how well he wants to to go forward, he's exceptional. I think he's only 19 years old. And uh, I think it's, according to like one of the um, surveys, he was arguably the most valued centre-back, or was most valued player under the age of 21. I don't remember the name. Um, of the Institute, but uh, it's slipping my mind. It's such a crucial moment. But yeah, he was rated as one of the most valuable young talents at the age of 21, 22. So definitely he's he's made a name for himself and uh, hopefully, you know, just fits into the back three brief. Well, and he is a player that it's going to be hard to get the deal done with Leipzig. They have mentioned multiple times that they're not interested seven hours prior to recording this episode on Sunday the 31st. They, Fabrizio Romano did indicate that Chelsea did make an attempt to sign Joshko in a swap deal with Werner, but Leipzig have no intention to sell him, that more possibilities will be discussed. And so uh, they clearly value their player quite highly, uh, particularly as they also get ready to start their season as well. And I don't imagine they're ready to go find a replacement just quite yet, maybe next season. But we've seen other big clubs linked to this player as well. And I think that's where we're finding now that all of these players that we're going after um, are going to be harder and harder to pry away as the season gets closer and closer to starting. Individually, everything you talked about is very exciting. I like the idea of what he could do on that left side with a Ben Chilwell ahead of him and then a Mesa Mount potentially ahead of them as well. And the amount of overlaps and interchange that potentially could happen there if, yeah, that, that is very exciting. And I, I don't worry that the the fact that he is less likely to shoot because the Stanford Bridge faithful will find a way over one, two, three years to encourage any defender who gets a little opportunity for range to shoot as well. So uh, if Thomas Sukal isn't going to coach it into his game, the supporters will make sure that it happens too, Sam. <laughs> I mean, that's absolutely true. I think it's sort of like a very exciting talent to have, 100%. Somebody who's, um, I think, in terms of replacing like for like, like you said, you know, Manchester City tend to do it well. Liverpool tend to find a very similar profile. I think in terms of finding a profile for Rudiger, 
this would be the ideal replacement you know somebody who's extremely i think you can't coach this kind of this kind of mentality you know this risk taking always pushing up so i i'd really like that but unfortunately it's also like there's the same reason for his weakness as well you know he can be over aggressive at times um i've seen some good players get past him because he tends to go very very advanced in his positioning has some trouble against teams that like to shift the ball from back to front very quickly so can be an issue against teams that like to transition well uh, but again in a back 3 if you've got defenders like ulbadi if you've got defenders like silva can you afford to let him do that maybe maybe definitely i mean that's that's for thomas tuchel to decide i'm just you know trying to be as neutral as possible <laughs> um and again another weakness is i tend to see him lose focus sometimes i think it's because of his playing style because he tends to gravitate towards the ball a lot you know he's always trying to chase the ball rather than chase uh, or keep a track of players trying to make movements in and around him he's always trying to get to the root cause of the problem which is block the ball intercept the ball make sure that the ball doesn't do damage but you're not aware of like two three players behind you who are running in behind waiting for the pass to happen so maybe that needs a little bit of coaching needs to be taught how to sort of like stay on on the back foot at times don't try to you know run behind like a, like a dog chasing an ice cream truck you don't have to do that you just have to be a little more composed a little more uh, wiser in choosing your um moments well when you want to go forward so i think that can be coached into him and like you said another weakness is his small sample size i mean he's only played one season for leipzig and he's broken out during that um there are some some numbers but again those numbers are based on a very small sample size like his ground duels is only 144% which is slightly on the lower side so can that improve you know can that improve going forward does he maintain this trajectory uh in the upcoming season if he does definitely see him going around 65 70 million manchester city were were interested in in him for a reason and uh, i expect the interest to only climb if he continues like this in the next season. Yeah, it wasn't the most exciting thing when we were linked with Nathan Ake and then Gravadiol was the individual that was being linked with Manchester City as who they would go get to replace Nathan Ake. That just felt a little weird. Uh in terms of the, the structure <laughs> of the moment. Yeah, why would you go for vanilla ice cream when you've got chocolate around? I mean, that's that's my question. So I mean apologies to everybody who loves vanilla but uh, I mean for me it, it always made sense to pay a little more if you're paying 40 million for Ake and if you're going for a 60 million for Guardiola I would take Guardiola you know I right. would definitely take uh, somebody who's displaying the same kind of qualities that you would like to imbibe in your side especially because we've we've been sort of like struggling to create threat haven't we time last season we've yeah. looked a little stale against against uh, very tight defenses and somebody like him who's happy to push forward make sure that he is he's causing issues with his positioning ben chilwell tends to be very you know um, in terms of his running around when he's at top form when he's at full fitness tends to be very dynamic like you said with mount with alonso also coming in you could see that we lost a little bit of you know the legs that you have you know somebody who's able to push forward from left wing back and also drop back at the right time so i think guardiola sort of solves that he he plays a very rudigeresque role he will struggle a little bit because he's still 19 if he does come but i think over time he will learn to adapt he will he will sort of tame his strengths and and make sure that he performs at a more intelligent level all right so now that we've run through pros and cons of six players if we count it back from 6 to 1 
What's your ranking at number six, five, four, three, two, and one? All right. So six would be Simakan for me. Um, number five would be Pau Torres. Uh, number four would be Badia Shile. Actually, let's let's keep uh, Badia Shile at number five. Let's keep uh, Pau Torres at number four. Um, Josco Guardiol probably at number three. Milan Skriniar at two. And Wesley Fofan at number one. All right. So it mostly went in the uh, the order that we started, at least one and uh, two there. But definitely, <laughs> definitely not going for the cheap targets, trying to buy in quality, trying to buy in a little bit more of that, either whether it's Premier League proven experience or proven experience at a top team in Syria, a little bit of winner's mentality as well. Those are kind of where you've landed as some of the things that maybe weighed in favor of those versus some of the others who are just a little less experienced, even though there is plenty of things to be excited about all of the players we talked about over these two episodes. Definitely. I mean, Fofana, even though he's like 21 years old, I think it, he's got the PL sort of pedigree behind him. He definitely knows how to play in the league, has performed to a very, very good degree in a in a defensively mediocre to defensively catastrophic side. So in terms of like youth, I think it's now come to a point where managers are aware that if you have to pay for quality, you have to pay over the top. You know, Manchester City don't mess around. They were quoted a certain price for Ruben Diaz and they went for it. They were quoted a certain price for uh, Liverpool, were quoted 70 million plus for Van Dijk, they went for it. They were quoted 70 million, 60 million for Allison, they went for it. So if you want quality, if you want, you know, uh, I mean, obviously the worst example is Rafinha with Barcelona. He's only got two seasons with him, but Barcelona paid whatever they had to because they know the pedigree. He's PL proven and he comes at a young age, has shown that he can adapt. So why not? Why wouldn't you pay that for a starting lineup? And and for me, Fofana directly slots into the back three and strengthens us at the same time, which is not something that I can say for, for defenders between, say, our positions from four to six, four, five, six. Um, but yeah, I think Fofana would be the the right deal to go. I mean, 21 probably has a long career ahead of him. Got all the right ingredients in him in terms of being a good defender. Has glimpses of leadership. Somebody who will benefit from playing next to a Kulubali, next to a Silva. And we've got David Onstein who's uh, come with his dagger and said it's probably going to happen considering we're going in hard. Hopefully, hopefully we can get this over the line. Yeah, what a interesting maneuver by Chelsea to go really hard for Delict and to come away with Koulibaly and potentially Fafana would be some really, really exceptional business of something not falling working out. upwards. I wish I could do that in my life, you know, falling <laughs> upwards. <laughs> oh, don't we all? Don't we all? Well, <laughs> Sam, I really appreciate it. Uh, listeners, we want to know too. Uh, let us know in the comments or hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, wherever you find us, and let us know what's your prioritization of the six? What's your order of defenders that you would go after if you were passing Todd Bully the shopping list. But that is going to do it for us. We'll get Sam back again in short order. We've got plenty of content coming your way, though, as we head into the start of the Premier League season 2022-2023 is about to be underway. We can't wait to take it in with all of you as well. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.